Chapter Twenty One of The Lost Parchment by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A final surprise. At the inquest held on the body of the unfortunate Carrington, the whole story of the events connected with the will of John Hindal was related in detail. This was done by the advice of Inspector Lawson so as to avert further trouble as the officer wisely pointed out it was necessary that the characters of all those implicated in the affair should be cleared once and for all this could only be done by the truth being made public and this course of procedure greatly recommended itself to rupert who was tired of underhand doings he was of a frank nature, and the idea of hiding this and concealing that annoyed him exceedingly. He therefore made a clean breast of the matter when called upon to give evidence regarding Carrington's death, and insisted that everyone else should do the same. Consequently, the whole amazing story appeared in print and read like a romance mullen was inclined to hold back from giving evidence as of course he should have communicated with the police the moment he became cognizant that a murder had been committed but both his cousin and lawson insisted that he should come forward to state what he knew and notwithstanding his reluctance he was compelled to do so he escaped better than he deserved as it was seen how difficult his position had been and the majority of people argued that the man could scarcely have been expected to incriminate himself by drawing attention to the crime at the time when he discovered it mrs beetson also contrived to elude reproof as she cleverly stated that when in possession of the will she had intended to hand it over to the squire of course rupert knew that she had never meant to do this but for the sake of kit he did not contradict her statement and because of dorinda's feelings he was glad to think that mullen had gotten off so lightly the two plotters themselves were much relieved that their characters had not suffered to an appreciable extent and retired into the grateful shade of obscurity as speedily as possible things had turned out better than they had expected carrington's conduct of course was condemned since he had behaved so basely but not so severely as it would have been had he been alive having met with a violent death it was felt that he paid for his trickery and as little as possible was said about him kit of course was exonerated with regard to the accident as lawson proved that the young man had sounded his horn when turning into the park but carrington anxious only to escape before the inspector could take him in charge had either not heard the warning of the horn or had not attended to it but be this as it may there was no doubt that he had ran on blindly and thus had fallen under the cruel wheels of the car remembering carrington's two premonitions about walking over his grave in the avenue rupert thought it quite uncanny that he should have met his fate on the very spot but he only remarked on the matter to dorinda who was wise enough to hold her tongue 
enough had been said about carrington and his disreputable doings in the newspapers so there was no need to say more mr lee did not appear at the inquest as he lay dying in a comfortable bed under the hospitable roof of the big house but he signed a written statement detailing the events of the night when he had been struck down and this satisfied both coroner and jury after all procurable evidence had been sifted a verdict of death by misadventure was brought in and the matter ended in the only way it could end carrington's sole relative a clerk in the war office came down to take charge of the body but expressed little surprise at the smirched reputation of the dead man carrington had always been a black sheep and his relative grimly said to rupert that he was glad things had turned out as they had carrington he observed would sooner or later have come to prison or the gallows had he lived being one of those unfortunate creatures who could not run straight so that was the end of the squire's old school friend who had chosen evil instead of good and bad as he had been hindle was kind-hearted enough to regret the man's miserable end afterward he always tried to remember carrington as he had been at rugby rather than the despicable plotter of his more mature years with the departure of the barrister's body in charge of his relative from barship departed all mystery it is now known who had struck down the vicar and why the blow had been delivered that lee had escaped death was not carrington's fault and the dead man was practically a murderer but the villagers in the excitement of finding their vicar alive began to overlook carrington's share in the matter the question most frequently asked was whether lee would resume his charge of the parish seeing that his successor had been appointed but all talk on this point was ended when it became known that the shocks inflicted on the unfortunate man both by being struck down and by being buried alive had so shaken his system that he was not likely to live tollert was attending to him and did so in an entirely sober state as his nearer escape from trouble kept him away from the drink sophie indeed regarded the whole matter as a blessing in disguise and hoped that her father would reform he had every reason to do so seeing what a lesson he had received with regard to his giving a certificate of death tollert's fellow physicians held that he was perfectly justified since the vicar had been in a cataleptic trance but the villagers headed by titus held that dr tollard had been drunk at the time when he examined the body and this opinion was not favorable to tollard's reputation however when it was seen that he had turned over a new leaf his conduct was considered more kindly and the doctor began to hope that he would weather the storm but it had very nearly wrecked him and the escape he had had greatly improved his character in time by acting judiciously and keeping strictly sober he managed to re-establish his position a week later when everything in connection with the catastrophe was quite settled mullen made his appearance at the big house he was more subdued than usual as he also had learned a lesson 
but there remained something of his old blustering manner when he entered the library and produced john hindle's will from his pocket rupert guessed that his cousin had come to demand a settlement and braced himself to face a disagreeable future it was not pleasant to become a pauper but there seemed to be nothing for it but to accept the inevitable yet it was not so much the loss of the money which the young man regretted as the probable loss of dorinda as his wife rupert knew his cousin well enough to be sure that once in the possession of the estates and income he would not be inclined to permit the marriage to take place and seeing that he was likely to be poor it was useless for the girl to insist upon the fulfillment of the engagement it was with a sad face and a weary heart that hindel asked mullen to take a seat i suppose you have called to discuss matters regarding the will he said leaning his head on his hand and speaking quietly in a way though i don't see that there is anything to discuss retorted mullen who was rapidly regaining his former bullying ways all you have to do is to clear out and allow me to come here walk out bag and baggage you mean something of that sort i don't mind giving you one hundred pounds with which to make a new start in life if i were you i would go to australia with kit when he marries sophie tollert and what about dorinda she is not for you said mullen resolutely as the daughter of the squire of barship she must marry a man with a position does dorinda say so inquired rupert quietly dorinda said the affectionate parent is as obstinate as a pig she is coming here in a few minutes to argue the matter i told her that i intended to settle the matter of the will to-day but she shan't marry you with my consent and as i have the money you can see that it would be wrong of you to drag her down to poverty you put the case very plainly mullen how else do you expect me to put it said the other who was not in the least ashamed of the cowardly way in which he was behaving you might have a little more consideration for my position remarked rupert with a shrug what consideration did you ever show to me snarled mullen rupert looked at the little man in amazement i have always been your good friend he said after a pause i have given you money and my own money interrupted the visitor much thanks for that it won't do rupert i won't allow you to work on my feelings i never knew that you had any to work on no more i have i want justice and justice i intend to have don't make such a row over the matter said hindle contemptuously you shall have what you want but you can scarcely expect me to walk out of this house this very minute we must take the will to the lawyers and have it gone into since you are behaving so brutally i am inclined to defend my position there is the statue of limitations to be considered and there is me to be considered said a quiet voice at the door and the two turned to see dorinda at the door you have been listening snapped her father yes i have 
she replied boldly and what i have heard shows me what a cruel nature you have father don't speak to me in that way stormed marlin furiously oh yes i shall and dorinda entered to place her hand on rupert's shoulder as if to give him confidence you have not got rupert's money yet but i shall get it the will is plain enough before dorinda could reply rupert rose to his feet and made a gesture that she should be silent lee has something to say about the will marlin he remarked and had you not come over i should have sent for you lee wishes to see you and me and dorinda if lee intends to try on any hanky-panky said marlin uneasily for the summons seemed strange and ominous to him he'll find himself in the wrong box i can tell you you've been scheming with him i expect since he has been lying there i have scarcely seen him retorted rupert passing his arm round dorinda's waist tollard says he should be kept quiet then we shan't disturb him now yes we shall lee has something on his mind and wants to see the three of us tollard has given permission so we can go up to him now only i beg of you Mullen, not to excite him as he is very weak and is not far from death you understand i understand that you want to trick me in some way by this time rupert's long-enduring patience was at an end and he turned on the selfish little man in a cold fury look here marlin i have had enough of this he said firmly don't goad me too far or you will regret it oh will i taunted the other and in what way possession is nine points of the law retorted hindle and you appear to forget that i am the squire of barship i shall see the lawyers and take all chances i can to prevent you getting possession of the money i am innocent of any roguery in the matter and my position is a very unfair one as i am not to blame it is close upon a century since that will was made and if i make use of the statue of limitations i may be able to squash the whole affair equity if not common law will be on my side you 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 cried marlin violently you swindler don't call me names said rupert imperiously or in spite of the fact that dorinda has the misfortune to call you father i shall kick you out of the house so now you know my own house foamed marlin stamping it's not your house yet and it may never be well marlin drew a long breath i never i never he turned on his daughter suddenly and with violence what do you think of this behavior i entirely approve of it said dorinda calmly and i am glad to see rupert stand up for his rights he has treated you far too well as it is what 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 it's no use father you don't care for me and you don't care for your honor all you do care for is yourself i i shall cut you off with a shilling with a shilling so long as i have rupert i don't care hindle caught marlin by the shoulders and pushed him toward the door i can't allow any more of this marlin 
behave like a human being or i shall turn you out now come up and hear what lee has to say oh i'll come cried mullen viciously but unable to resist his cousin's superior strength but remember that if there is any plot to take away my money i shall make things hot for you get on get on said hindle impatiently and don't make a fool of yourself mullen did go on and climbed the stairs to lee's room unwillingly he was beginning to see that there was nothing to be gained by storming and that his best plan would be to adjust the matters in dispute quietly although he believed the will to be legal he yet had a lurking suspicion that it might be set aside by the statue of limitations under these circumstances it would be unwise to quarrel with his cousin so he became more subdued all the same his dog-like temper could not be entirely suppressed and he entered the sick chamber growling and muttering savagely dorinda and rupert followed the girl crying with shame her father's conduct was disgraceful. The vicar was propped up in bed with pillows, looking white and weak. It was evident that he had not long to live, and there was an anxious expression on his face which showed that he had something on his mind. With a faint smile he welcomed the newcomers and signed to the nurse that she should leave the room this the woman did whispering in passing rupert that tollard had left instructions that the patient was to be as little excited as possible since his strength was rapidly failing she also gave the young squire a strong stimulant with which to revive lee should he grow faint during the interview and saying that she would return in half an hour departed softly when the door was closed the vicar looked at the weeping dorinda and her scowling father also at rupert who was cool and composed inwardly the squire was greatly disturbed but it was necessary that he should keep his emotions under control and he did so why do you cry dorinda asked the vicar softly she's a fool growled mullen frowning blackly i am an honest girl said dorinda flushing and drying her eyes and i am ashamed of the cowardly way in which you are behaving how is your father behaving questioned lee with an ironic smile he wants to take everything from rupert and make him a pauper said dorinda sadly he refuses to allow me to marry him and will you obey him no she drew herself up proudly i love rupert more than myself and if he will marry me i am ready to be his wife at any moment fool fool growled her father savagely what do you say hendel inquired the vicar calmly i wish to marry dorinda as i love her dearly answered the squire who was pale but composed but if this will is proved to be legal i may lose all and i can't ask dorinda to share a life of poverty with me i don't care for your poverty cried the girl impetuously throwing her arms round her lover's neck i would rather have a crust with you than stay with my father in luxury but i don't think it would be necessary for you to be reduced to a crust dorinda smiled the vicar after all 
considering the circumstances of the case and that hindel is not to blame surely your father will give you half the income two thousand pounds said mullen derisively i'm not such a fool i shan't give rupert a single penny and if dorinda marries him without my consent which she will never get she must be prepared to starve dorinda will never starve while i can work said rupert calmly what at you have never done a hand's turn in your life lee interposed before rupert could reply marlin surely you will not behave so wickedly and selfishly as to keep all the money to yourself yes i shall the money is mine and i shall not give a penny you are a bad man said lee slowly pooh what do i care for your names nothing i can see that however i may be able to make you care dorinda give me some of that tonic the vicar's voice was growing weak and his eyes closed dorinda slipped her arm round his neck and gave him a dose of the medicine which shortly took effect he opened his eyes again and spoke in a stronger voice are you determined to behave in this unjust way mullen it is not unjust and i do you will keep all the money to yourself every penny and if you can prevent dorinda marrying hindle yes she does so at the risk of starvation but you may ruin two lives mullen pooh don't talk rubbish vicar i shall do as i like you shall not do as you like said lee steadily you are an evil and wicked man although i am too sinful myself to say so but i thank god that he has permitted me to live and make reparation for my wrongdoing the vicar fumbled under his pillow and produced an envelope take this handle and put it into your pocket no don't open it now when i am dead you can learn how deeply i have sinned and above all don't let mullen get hold of it rupert slipped the envelope into the pocket of his coat and smiled grimly although he also looked astonished i'll take care of that he said with a nod but what is the paper about it contains a signed and witnessed confession of my sin your sin mullen began to shake in his shoes as there was something very ominous about these proceedings yes i intended evil and evil has come of my intention but thank god i am able to nip my wrongdoing in the bud mullen the vicar shook a reproving forefinger at the man i have given you every chance to behave as a christian should but you will not seize the opportunity now it is too late and you must abide by your selfish conduct what the devil are you talking about hush father hush don't speak like that cried dorinda with a shiver i shall speak as i like what does lee mean by his nonsense you will not find that paper i have given hindle nonsense said lee in a faint voice it contains an account of my sin and will be your punishment come to the point come to the point stuttered mullen nervously angry lee turned to look at hindle who stood beside dorinda silently amazed at all this strange talk my friend he said 
wincing at having to lower himself in the young man's eyes i was tempted by satan and i fell in the monument chest i found a bundle of letters written by john hendel which showed that he wished to disinherit his son frederick whom he hated in favor of eunice the infant daughter of his eldest son walter whom he loved he declared in the last letter of the bundle which you will find in the chest where i left it that he would make a will leaving the estates to eunice who married filbert when she grew up but john hendel died of heart disease as other family documents show before he could execute his intention he made no will in favor of eunice and frederick lawfully inherited the property mullen turned a greenish color and pulled out the will from the pocket the will which had caused so many disasters john hendel made this he did not interrupted the vicar in a strong and triumphant voice i made that will it is forged forged rupert dorinda and mullen all echoed the word yes lee went on speaking swiftly as if fearful that his strength would not hold out to the end i wanted money to go to yucatan and hoped to get it from hindle he was not inclined to fit out an expedition so i hoped to force him satan entered into me and taking advantage of what was in those letters of john hindle i prepared the will in favor of eunice i bought the parchment and wrote out what was wanted to give me a hold over hindle when carrington saw me holding the will over the candle i was doing so to change the color of the ink and make the parchment appear black and a little contracted i did not give the forged will to hindle when i spoke about it as it was not quite ready next day i proposed to give it to him and to offer to allow him to burn it on condition that he gave me enough money to go to yucatan with an expedition failing rupert i should have gone to you mr mullen and you would have gone gasped rupert amazed by this recital i would never have agreed to suppress that will had i believed it as i did to be genuine i see that now said lee whose voice was becoming fainter you were too honorable for mullen and carrington and you would have been too honorable for me my forgery was vain but god intervened and prevented me from carrying out my wicked plot carrington came and and you you know the rest i acted wickedly and i i he stopped and fell back on his pillows with a ghastly look on his face he is dying cried dorinda running to the bedside call the nurse rupert opened the door but mullen looking like a fiend rushed to the dying man and shook him roughly you are a liar you are a liar he screamed white with thwarted ambition this will is not forged this will is hindle furious with the man's inhumanity caught him by the shoulders and thrust him out of the room the nurse hurried in and along with dorinda tried to revive the fainting vicar but in vain dr tollett was immediately sent for and came at once to pronounce that there was no hope lee lingered for twenty-four hours and then passed away quietly without ever regaining consciousness this time as tollett took care to prove 
the vicar was really dead and within a week his body was again placed in the family vault to be certain about the catalepsy the corpse was kept above ground for the seven days until there was no doubt that the man actually was dead in vain titus ark overcome with grief repeated his parrot cry that his friend warn't dead lee was on this occasion a truly dead man the blow on the head the shock to his nervous system caused by being buried alive and perhaps the shame of having to confess his forgery of the will had all combined to kill him he died and barship knew him no more and Marlin? he was almost crazy with rage at his loss again and again he tried to prove that the forged will was a genuine document and saw many lawyers and experts but the confession of lee signed by himself and witnessed by titus ark and his grandson held good as it gave all details of how the false testament had been prepared lee confessed therein that he had copied the signature of john hindel from the letters which first gave him an idea of committing the forgery so in the end Marlin had to accept the fact that rupert was the true squire of barship and that there was not the slightest chance of his getting a single penny of the four thousand a year he so greedily coveted while Marlin, frenzied with baffled avarice was moving heaven and earth to prove that he was the rightful heir the other people who had been connected with the strange affair of the will were settling themselves in life mrs beetson obtained a situation as housekeeper to an invalid gentleman in derbyshire much to the relief of kit and miss tollert hindle was so pleased with the way in which these two had assisted him at an awkward moment that he gave kit a handsome sum of money and along with dorinda was present at his marriage to the doctor's daughter tollert himself found that in spite of all efforts he could not quite do away with the prejudice against him although more or less he managed as has been said to re-establish his position but perhaps conscience had something to do with his determination to go to australia with the young couple for he felt very uncomfortable among his patients sophie who was unwilling to part from her father since he might take to drink again suggested that he should emigrate the doctor did so and shortly departed with mr and mrs beetson for melbourne where he hoped to redeem himself entirely and thanks to rupert's generosity a start at the antipodes was made easy both for him and for the young people as to hindle and dorinda they took advantage of Marlin's preoccupation with regard to the will to get married quietly in london dorinda was of age and did not require her father's consent moreover after his shabby behavior she felt that even though he was her father she could never live with him again so she became mrs hindle shortly after lee was buried for the second time and after a short honeymoon returned to be welcomed by one and all as the mistress of the big house everyone was delighted that rupert still kept his position and everyone knew that the will which had caused so much trouble had been forged 
Handel would have preferred to keep Lee's confession to himself out of regard to the unfortunate vicar's memory, but Marlin's action left him no option but to make it public. The amazing story added yet another chapter to the romance of the whole queer business, and the story got into the newspapers. Mr. and Mrs. Hendel were not a little troubled by reporters and interviewers and snapshot people, but in the end curiosity died away and they were left to live their own simple life, doing good and making everyone around them happy. In the end, Mullen found that his efforts to prove the will to be genuine were futile, so one day presented himself at the big house in a very dismal frame of mind. Not being able to get the property, he was secretly pleased that his daughter should have become Mrs. Hendel, even without his consent, as he had hoped to use her for his own ends. With the greatest impudence, he suggested that his son-in-law should fulfill his old promise and allow him five hundred a year. "'Oh, no,' said Rupert calmly when Marlin came for a last interview. "'I don't think it's good for you to be treated with such leniency.' "'Nor do I,' chimed in Dorinda, who found it difficult to behave amiably to her father, seeing how badly he had behaved. "'What do you mean?' demanded Marlin, taken aback, for he had quite expected to get his own way. "'What do you both mean?' "'I don't think it is so very difficult to gather what we mean,' replied Rupert coolly. "'You never intended to give me a penny had you got the money.' so why should i give an income to you that's different maybe anyhow you will have to live on what you have i am dorinda's father i don't look on you as my father said the undutiful daughter you never have behaved like a father to me and now that i have rupert to look after me i wish to see as little of you as possible and this is my child moaned Marlin much cast down dorinda laughed it won't do father she said calmly as mr lee declared on his deathbed you had every opportunity of acting honorably how you have acted i leave to your conscience to say i won't said rupert sharply see here Mullen, i am a kind-hearted man and wish to help everyone but for me to give you money for your wickedness would be wrong what wickedness if you will have it you threaten to turn me out of this house as a pauper and you have done your best to prove true a document which you knew to be forged if you had triumphed dorinda and i would have been thrown into the street without a penny because you have failed you come whimpering to me for money you shan't have any as you are my wife's father, I should have allowed you enough to live on had you been without an income. But as you enjoy five hundred a year of your own, you can exist on that. And, as people here are not very well disposed toward you, I advise you to go away. Furious at this plain speaking, Mullen turned on his daughter. Do you hear now how I am spoken to? he demanded, looking black. "'I hear,' responded Mrs. Hendel, quietly, "'and I am glad that you hear the truth for once in your life. I hope it will make you a better man.' 
I think you had better take Rupert's advice and leave Barship. Oh, I shall go. I don't want to stay in such a hole, shouted Mullen, putting on his hat violently. Then he became pathetic. And I go to live a lonely life. I think you will find plenty of amusement in playing with your jewels, said Dorinda quietly. You never cared for me. Mullen, muttering something about an ungrateful child and a serpent's tooth, walked away with a drooping head. It dawned on him dimly when he shook the dust of barship from his feet that perhaps, after all, as he had not given affection, he could not expect affection. But his egotism was much too strong to permit him to understand fully that he was only reaping what he had sown. He took up his abode in London and managed to get along very comfortably on his five hundred a year. But he always persisted in regarding himself as a much injured man and stubbornly maintained that the will forged by leave was genuine. Needless to say, he never missed his daughter, as he was far too much wrapped up in himself to desire any company but his own. "'Do you think we acted rightly, Rupert?' asked Dorinda in a troubled tone when her father departed after that last interview. "'Yes, dear. He is your father, certainly, but he has no right to take advantage of the relationship to behave so selfishly as he has done. It would be wrong to pander to his egotism by giving him money.' "'Yes, I suppose so,' said Dorinda with a sigh. People are very hard to understand, Rupert. Besides my father, who puzzled me with his selfishness, there is Mr. Lee. Whatever made such a good and kind man forge that will? Rupert shrugged his shoulders. A sudden temptation, perhaps, he said after a pause, but I don't pretend to explain. His act was entirely opposed to his character. If he was in a story, people would say he was inconsistent. Dorinda agreed. Very inconsistent. Human beings are strange. They are, dear. But you see, as we only see the outside of people, we don't know how to account for every action. The majority of people are children and often act wrongly without thinking of the consequences. After all... Evil is only ignorance, for if wrongdoers knew what they would have to pay for behaving wickedly, they would not sin. Now, darling, don't think anything more about the matter. Let us enjoy the peace which has come to us after the storm. There is no more to be said about the past and no more to be done. We are happy and try to make others happy. What more do you want? This! said dorinda and kissed him fondly end of chapter twenty one recording by sharon kilmer san antonio texas end of the lost parchment by fergus hume